What do you do when you realize that the walls that you've slowly built to keep yourself safe are actually preventing the people who want to love you from being able to? For our final soft opening, we're opening up. My page is tidy, but for the most part, you can like take it off the shelf, read it as you will, just try not to tear any of my pages, and always be sure to put it back on the shelf when you're done thumbing through my chapters. That's not, however, how I used to describe myself. See, for the longest time, I would have described myself as like a snapping turtle. You ever see one of those bad boys? They're these big (laughs) turtles. To most people, they are terrifying. I, of course, think they're kind of cute. Big shocker there. They're rough around the edges, and they live in these ponds, lakes, marshes, really any permanent body of water. They have these tough shells that they can retreat into and these sharp beaks that they can use to snap at people who get a little too close. They're relatively harmless, um, but when you provoke them, they could easily take off a finger or a toe. (laughs) There was one that lived at the house where I grew up that had a shell a little bit smaller than a bike tire. It was (laughs) insane, but that is not what I'm preaching about today. (laughs) Snapping turtles, they look and they act like they're tough shit. Like, nothing can get past that beak, that shell. And that's how I would have identified. I know, it's really hard to believe, especially since I currently cry about how cute raccoons are, like, at least twice a week. (laughs) But it's true, it's true. From a young age, I was taught how to grow a hard and a durable shell, a shell that I could use to protect myself from the outside elements. Growing up with my mom's family, I was surrounded by these strong, intimidating, take-no-shit women, especially my mom's cousins. While they're (laughs) some of the most loving women I know, they also could take you down a couple pegs just by looking at you. They are these badass women who, if I'm being honest, I was a little bit afraid of when I was growing up. They walked into a room unafraid of whether or not they hurt your feelings, and they didn't take a single ounce of shit from anybody. And as I got older, they showed me the power of a sharp eyebrow, a resting bitch face, of keeping our walls high and not letting a single soul see past the hard exterior we had made for ourselves no matter what. They showed me how much easier life was when you maintained this hard exterior, how much easier it was to fend off the abuse, to stand up for yourself, to just be a bitch. So that's the mentality that I grew up with. I created this hard exterior early on, and it worked for me. It worked for me for a really long time, this hard exterior, my shell, we'll call it, to keep, it kept me safe. And it really did keep me safe for a long time, actually, you know, I don't have a ton of memory from my youth, but from what I do remember, specifically like bits and pieces from late middle school through high school, I was a take no shit bitch. I remember a time in late middle school when this guy in my grade was making fun of me for being fat at recess, and instead of civilly figuring it out, I just punched him, shoved him into a wall, and he never spoke to me again. (laughs) (laughs) Then again, in high school, there was this other guy who consistently referred to me as every Mexican slur he could think of. And after I exploded, he said that I, quote unquote, hurt his feelings. But did he ever call me anything besides my name ever again? No, absolutely not. Eventually, the people who would normally harass me gave up because it wasn't worth me lashing out at them. It wasn't worth me hurting their feelings. 
It was easier to just give me space, let me vibe with my friends, and graduate. And when I got to college, at first, it was like a breath of fresh air. I thought, maybe I could start to come out of my shell a little bit. Maybe I could let people in. Maybe I could start to let my guard down a little. But I quickly learned that college was not going to be the time nor the place for that. After my sophomore year of college, I learned that my long-term, long-distance boyfriend had been cheating on me essentially the entire time we were together. And without giving myself a chance to feel that hurt, to feel that deep betrayal, I told him to fuck off and cut him out of my life. And then later on, when I would let people into my sheets under my skin instead of taking the chance on a relationship that had the potential to be really good for me, I would blow them off when they hinted at wanting something more. I wasn't willing to let another person back into the fortress that I had created only to get hurt again. This defense mechanism of not letting people get close to me, of lashing out when I was threatened and then retreating further back into my shell was my normal. And it worked out okay for a while, you know. I was able to compartmentalize all of the hurt and all of the abuse and continue on just living my life. It allowed me to stay a full-time student, work multiple jobs, and continue to be a normal college kid. But believe it or not, it wasn't sustainable. <laughs> a, shell <laughs> a shell, it can only handle so much pressure before it inevitably cracks. And if you don't fill in the cracks properly, eventually it's all going to crumble, which, surprise, surprise, it did. After almost two decades of reinforcing the walls of my shells, they were deteriorating. I couldn't continue to be this cold, hard, take-no-shit bitch that I had prided myself in becoming. I needed to find a different way to live, to sustain. I had to. At this point, I didn't have any more walls left to protect me. I didn't have the capacity to continue to fight back. I didn't have more space in my storage room to compartmentalize any more hurt. I had to change. I didn't have another choice. The disciples, they made some pretty drastic changes to their lives to follow Jesus. They gave up the lives they had gotten used to living. They gave up their routines, their jobs, everything that they knew to follow Jesus, live into his word, and lead a revolution, a change, a revolution of love. But then Jesus was sacrificed, and now what? What were the disciples even supposed to do now? How were they supposed to continue to lead in this revolution without Jesus? Was it even safe to do so? So they went home. The disciples went back home to do what they knew. For Simon Peter and a handful of other disciples, what they knew how to do was fish, and so that's what they were going to do. So as the sun set and the moon began to climb into the night sky, Simon Peter and the other disciples, they grabbed their nets, climbed back into their boat, and set out on a night of fishing, just picking up right where they left off. The disciples, they're fishing, or at least like trying to fish, but they're catching nothing, nothing at all. All night long, they keep drawing empty nets. I, as a stubborn person, I can't even imagine that frustration. You return home after your friend was crucified. You try to go back to doing something you have always done because it has 
always worked for you, and then all of a sudden, it's not working. You fish all night, praying you'll catch at least enough fish to feed your family, but hoping that maybe you'll catch more and be able to sell it for some extra cash. All night, all night they fish, and they catch nothing, not even a little guppy. And then as the sky begins to shift from a deep purple to shades of pink, as the moon dips below the horizon that the sun is just beginning to kiss, their nets still pull up empty. The disciples are home. They're trying to return to what they know, go back to a way of life that used to be their go-to, but it's not working. As they're pulling up their nets, getting ready to give up on this little fishing excursion, there's this guy standing on the edge of the shore, watching them hoist up an empty net, which, like, first of all, embarrassing, but then to make matters even worse, he calls out to them from the shore, friends, haven't you any fish? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the question you want to hear after you've spent literally the whole night catching nothing at all. They're patient, so they responded, no, no, we haven't any fish. The person on the shore responds to them again, saying, well, just toss your net onto the other side of the boat. You'll for sure find some there. This guy. <laughs> but what did they have to lose? The side of the boat they had been fishing on from all night, the side of the boat that has caught them fish every other night before that one, it wasn't working for them anymore. So in a last-ditch effort, they toss their net over the opposite side of the boat. And can you imagine their shock when it just fills with fish to the brim, almost too full, too heavy to even pull into the boat? How is it that this wacko from the shore knew the fish would just be there on the other side of the boat? You probably already know, but it was at this point that they realized that man on the shore was their friend Jesus. But that's all it took. All it took to have nets overflowing with fish was to take the risk of abandoning the routine they had knew and had known and lean into a new side of the boat. It took having a little bit of faith, jumping headfirst into the unknown to get an outcome that would feed themselves, feed their loved ones, feed each other. Letting go of something that used to work for you, used to protect you, used to keep you happy and healthy, it's scary. Why give something up that used to work for you? I mean, for all we know, it might work later on down the line, so why don't we just hold on to it a little bit longer just to see if it comes back around? I don't want to let it go just yet. I'm not ready to let it go just yet. But you know what sounds scarier to me? Missing out on the chance to be happy, to be healthy, because being complacent is the easier, less scary route. What sounds scarier to me is the idea that what used to work for me may never work for me again, but I'm going to hold on to it anyway, even though I have no shell left and my soft turtle skin is going to be irreparably damaged in the process. It is scary letting go of what used to serve us. It is scary to unlearn behaviors that used to protect us. 
it is scary to lean into a side of you that you kept hidden for so long because you were told that it was weak, that it was too emotional, that it would never get you anywhere. It's scary. But we are capable of change. We are capable of letting go. I didn't want to let go of my hard, snapping turtle shell. It protected me for so long, and I didn't even know what life would look like if I didn't have it there to keep me safe. <laughs> but I wasn't safe. I hadn't been safe for a while. My internal walls were crumbling. All of the monsters that I had kept compartmentalized, locked away in their pretty little trunks, were busting out, and they were suffocating me in my own shell, a shell I created to make and keep me safe. I had to let it go. Believe it or not, we as people are no strangers to change, no stranger to letting go of things that used to be. I mean, look at this church that you're a part of. Gilead is always changing. It's something we're good at. For example, like even when we really do, like, do not want to let go of something, in this case, indoor worship, we let it go not because we wanted to, but because we had to in order to keep the people that we love, a.k.a. you, safe. Look at the disciples. After Jesus was crucified, they tried going back to their old lives, back to the ways that they used to live, and that just wasn't going to work for them anymore. They had grown. They had changed. And they had to let go of this old way of life and lean into a scary unknown. Lean into a life that they had been growing into all along. It was just a matter of letting go of the old and risking it for the new. Look at me. I was trying to use old coping mechanisms that I had grown out of. I was trying to protect myself with ways that used to work for me but were now just hurting me. I so badly needed to let go of being hard, of being closed off, and embrace a scary new way of softness, of fragility, of vulnerability. It's really scary letting go of the old and embracing the new, but it's likely exactly what your little soul needs. It's exactly what my little soul needed. I used to identify as a snapping turtle. I don't miss that part of me. I mean, I wish I would have taken the leap sooner, but now is better than never, right? Like I said, back to the metaphors, I'm more of a book on a shelf. I'm not necessarily an open book per se, but if you take the time to sit with me, to feel my worn cover on your fingertips, to see the coffee stains on my pages, to notice which pages have small rips and tears, to take in each of my chapters with care and intention, I'll let you in to my little shell. Amen. In just a minute, we'll pass the peace with each other, this little exchange of words, but I wonder with that ringing in our ears, what if when we make eye contact in person or online, what if we could catch each other in the moment 
right before we molt, like right before we climb out of our old shell, what if we saw each other's naked little souls right as we were emerging into what's next and could make eye contact long enough to like wish each other courage for it? I don't know. Let's try. We'll exchange these greetings and then we'll end up facing back the table and you can probably take a couple steps in that direction too. Peace be with you. Thanks. Let's share signs of peace with each other. If you are listening to this at the end of June, we're taking next week off, but we'll see you soon, Gilead. As always, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, kinda, website, PayPal, Venmo, anywhere you could probably want to find us if we're there. We're Gilead Chicago. Talk to you soon.